good to be here with you today. <clears throat> if you got your Bible, yeah, we're going to be in Acts 9 here in just a minute, but I want to just make a statement first. Uh, Christ came to the earth 2,000 years ago. Uh, Christ had always been, right? He wasn't created by God. He was there always, but the Word, John 1, which refers to uh, Christ as the Word, capital W Word, God, took on human flesh, a body, and dwelled among men. He could be seen, heard, and touched. To see him was to see the Father. He came and he, he revealed what God was really like, and he revealed, uh, you know, they had the law and the prophets already before, but there was so much confusion, and there were so much traditions of men added to things, and he came and he showed, this is what it's really all about. He didn't just come to do that. He came down to lay down his life, a ransom for many. He died on a cross for our sins, but he took up his body again. He rose from the grave, and on the day of Pentecost, well, he ascended into heaven, but on the day of Pentecost, where'd he go? I'm sorry, he ascended, but on the day of Pentecost, he took up another body. That body is the body of Christ, the church, right? We're the body of Christ on earth, we're doing what Christ would do if he were here and were to show the world what God is like. We must show the world what he's like and how we can serve him. You know, today I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, the book of Ephesians refers to these uh, five specialized uh, roles in the body of Christ, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are kind of superstars. I'm thankful for them, and hey, let's admit it, do we miss Pastor Ben, right, and his family? All right, well, there's a hole. There's a hole in our hearts. There's a hole when he's gone, and we're thankful for each one that God raises up, but I want to tell you this. In 2,000 years of church history, 2,000 years since Christ ascended and he birthed the church on that day of Pentecost, most of the great work of the church has been done by nameless disciples. People we'll never read about. Uh, people that never wrote a book. People that, that never had an official position, never had a university named after them. And many of them who never went on the mission field or foreign mission field. God has a work for every disciple that's available to him. And it's an important work. And, and we're going to learn about a certain disciple named Ananias today. Let's have prayer. God, thank you. It's a privilege to gather with your people today. It's a privilege, God. It's an honor um, for me to be able to bring your word. And, and God, I pray that just the truth of your word, the truth of this message that you laid on my heart would come through. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work. And, and God, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So God, help us today, we pray, that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 10. This passage is familiar to many of us. But the Bible said there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And right off the bat, i got to clarify, this is not the Ananias 
that died earlier in the book of Acts, okay? He didn't get resurrected and come back to... No, that's a different... That was Ananias and Sapphira. They're not ones that you want to emulate. But this Ananias is one. You know, we don't know a lot about him. There's, there's speculation. Um, there's all kinds of things you can read. Maybe he was there on the day of Pentecost. Uh, maybe he was among those that were scattered when persecution came. Uh, we, but, you know, we have every reason to believe that he was just an ordinary Christian and most likely not an office holder at the church in Damascus. So, Bible says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul, Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, that's Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You know, God, uh, you know, again, looking at 2,000 years of, of church history, and God occasionally does a work completely apart from any help from uh, mankind. No agreement with people down here on earth. Sometimes he intervenes powerfully, steps into a situation, and, and completely straightens things out. And, you know, it's hard to put a pattern on exactly how or why this works and, and why he does it some places and other places, you think, boy, God, this would be a really good time for you to just step in and straighten it out, and he doesn't there, and all I can chalk it up to is, you know, he's God, and I'm not. And it's hard to understand all of his comings and goings, but there's times when God just steps in and doesn't seem to use any person and, do, and does a great work. And, and from the commentators, we see this. We have this testimony of God's working in the life of Saul of Tarsus, an arrogant, proud, haughty man that was committed to the task of exterminating Christianity, stamping it out, because he felt it was a threat to Judaism, and because he felt Jesus Christ was an imposter, and because he was convinced that it was for the good of his people and the whole nation and world, if this heresy should cease... Saul of Tarsus dedicated all of his energy, all of his strength, all of his talent, every waking moment to the one task of ridding the world of this blight of Christianity. 
as he viewed it then. And God had ministries that came to him. You know, Saul interacted with Christians before this section that we're reading about. The ministry of the word through those who he apprehended, those who he arrested, against whom he brought accusation. And then there was the testimony of those who had been healed through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the ministry of the apostles. There was also added this testimony of Stephen. Remember, he was there when Stephen was stoned, right? And the exhibition of grace in the life of Stephen, asking for forgiveness of those who were in the act of stoning him. And also the affirmation that he saw Jesus Christ standing on the right hand of the throne of God. But all these things did not dissuade this fanatical man from his task of persecuting the church. He continued, determined that he would secede. And man, Paul, he was a passionate guy. He got after things. But guess what? The Lord intervened. He said, that's enough. That's enough. We can read about this earlier in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Talks about how Paul, he's on his way to Damascus, and he's not there to be a blessing to the church, right? He had bad intentions. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, he went by Saul at this time, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting it's hard for you to kick against the goads. King James says, kick against the pricks. That little last tag isn't in some manuscripts, but the idea is that like an ox that's yoked up and being used for plowing, he's, he's got all the equipment on him and he's, and, and he's being led and the, the, uh, the driver has all the power, but the, the ox is fighting it and he's hurting himself. He can't win, but he's still fighting against it. And this after the Lord is telling Paul, hey man, it's quit fighting this, okay? Quit fighting it. So he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said, Arise, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He's blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. God overshadowed Paul. Man, God overshadowed him big time on the way to Damascus. Paul had a personal encounter with the living God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was the proof that Paul required. He needed to, to see that Jesus was alive. You know, Paul, you, you couldn't have been a Jew in this time period and had not heard about, about Jesus. It was just, re it was impossible because there was a lot of talk going around. You know, there's a lot of talk going around right now about some trial between two celebrities and they're suing each other for millions of dollars. And probably some of you have heard about that if you're in the news. But times that by a hundred, and that's how the likelihood of that you would have heard that there was this guy named Jesus who made a lot of claims, who stirred up a lot of trouble in the Jewish world. Paul had heard about Jesus. He knew that he had been nailed to a cross, but I'll tell you what, he didn't believe that Jesus was God. And he certainly didn't believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And he certainly, certainly didn't believe that Jesus was alive today. Saul became 
convinced that Jesus Christ was alive when Jesus appeared to him. He says, I'm him. And by the way, you're persecuting me when you persecute my people. That's how Christ feels about his body, whom you are, all of you that, that know and walk with Jesus. He says, you're, you're hurting me. What does Paul do? What is his response? Now that he's had a revelation that Jesus Christ is all those people said he was, all that Stephen said that he was as he was being stoned, Paul commits his life. Oh, not to an organization. He didn't leave one religious structure for another. No, he committed himself to a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Paul said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Commits to a person. I want to tell you today that it's a good thing if you come to church. It's a good thing. I'm glad if you consider this your church family. But being a part of a congregation is not the same thing as being a Christian. A Christian is one who's committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And true repentance and true faith is about a revelation of Christ in our heart where we believe that He is Jesus. He's the Son of the living God. He's alive. And in that sight of who He is and who we are, not God, not deserving to be on the throne of our life, a response comes up in us, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Jesus Christ is Lord was the earliest confession of faith in the, in the early church. And Lord means my boss, my authority, the one I'm looking to, the one that I, that I must serve. And if he's boss, okay, what do, you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You know, wonderful things happen when a person has a, a clear conversion. A clear conversion from darkness to light. Uh, many times there's a lot of problems in life because it, and sometimes it just happens in the church world where, where a person kind of comes to church for a period of time and they, they get to know Christian ways and they get to know Christian people and they kind of act a little bit different because they're on the right people, but they have never really been born again. Never really had a revelation that, that Jesus Christ is all that he said he was. And then I must serve Him and follow Him because my life's not my own. It belongs to Him. Oh, wonderful things happen when we have a conversion and, and we're sick of our sin and we're not just looking to go to heaven and have a little bit better life, but we want to serve Jesus Christ. Wonderful things happen. From that moment of, of true regeneration, there's, there's life and there's light in us and born of the Spirit. But in this case, not yet quite full of everything that God wanted to give him, right? Because what happened next? He sent, he sent to this place to stay, and God uses a certain disciple who is kind of a Joe Blow in the church to do what for him? To, to lay hands on him, pray for him, receive thy sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit, take him to be baptized, Introduce him to the church. Very interesting. Very interesting. Be careful about being a formula of how, building a formula of how God is going to get everything that you need in your life to walk an overcoming uh, life of Christ. He, he kind of, he does things differently. There's people sometimes that, you know, they get saved and it's almost like immediately they're off to the races. 
I mean, they're just tearing it up. And then there's others, they're, they're born again and something's really happened, but God continues to, to beyond just, just teachings and stuff like that, God, God fills them with power in a secondary way. And maybe sometimes it's on the laying on of hands or other ways. Be careful building a formula of how the Spirit of God works. He works with people as individuals. Saul, this, this proud man, he got a revelation, a powerful revelation of Christ, and he had to be humbled, he was blinded, and led like a child, led by the hand. All of his study, all of his knowledge, all the, the good guy that he was, you know, he was under the law, he was blameless, it wasn't enough. He had to be helped and instructed, and he, he was brought into the body of Christ kind of at the bottom, <laughs> just a learner just a learner. Paul learned that he was dependent on one of the small people. It's hard for us to get our mind around how big time Paul was before he got saved. You know, he was, he was entrusted to a very important position, very important position. He was at the top. He went straight to, to the big guys at the top, but he's humbled. He's blind, led by the hand. And most of us who end up going forward with God have to be humbled some point in our life. Amen? Amen? We sometimes have to get a little low before we look up and really put God in His proper place. God delights in meeting our needs from unexpected sources. He meets apparent needs and not so apparent needs. And Paul got to learn that in God's church. Even small people are important. Ananias was a disciple. He was a certain disciple. And disciple means a follower, a learner, discipleship again we said this earlier it's not just not just about being a part of a good church it's a matter of our disposition toward the lord jesus christ right now continually learning from the teacher continually having communion with the good teacher again a disciple is not just a member not just a member of a church i'll tell you what not about if you've gone to Bible. If go, is going to Bible college a good thing? Yes, yes. Going to Bible college does not make you a disciple. Even being in a Bible study group, and it's great to, to know the Bible. We push that here big time. But I'll tell you what, I've run into a lot of people that know a lot of Bible facts. That man, I'll tell you, their life does not bring a lot of glory to Christ. Henri, cranky, bitter. In fact, some of the most ornery people I've ever run into are people that know a lot of Bible stuff, but aren't walking in fellowship with God. They're just, they're no fun to be around. I've been like that in places in my life, by the way. It's bad to have the truth without being enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit that just puts it all together. Praise God. Ananias, just a certain disciple in submission to the teacher, he had a disposition towards Christ of, of obedience. You know what? You're in charge. I gave my life to you. You own it. You own it. And Christ gives him a, a job that he didn't want to do, but he was obedient. I'll tell you the degree of usefulness to God that you have right now. By the way, you have tremendous value to God, every one of you. Even if you're not a Christian here in this room, you have tremendous value to God, but your usefulness to God is dependent not even primarily on all the things you may have learned in the past, but where your disposition is to Christ right now. Are you in fellowship with Him? Are, 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 are you in obedience with Him? 
Are you on speaking terms right now? Tomorrow depends on today. And a calloused heart, a calloused heart has kept many of us from being useful and led to a lot of blown opportunities. And there's not one of us in this room that hasn't blown countless opportunities. Because although we're, we're a Christian, we've been in a season of life where we're just not walking close to the Lord, not ready to hear the voice of God, not ready to respond in obedience. All right, praise God. So the question today, and I want to tell you what, this message penetrated me before I'm giving it to you, believe me. Are you at a place right now that God can speak to you and you will listen and obey? Are you sensitive to the voice of God today? Are you available? Well, praise God, Ananias was a disciple who was available to his master. And, and, and secondly, he, had, he, he wasn't a novice in that he had learned to distinguish the voice of God from all those other voices, right? And is the voice of God the only voice we hear in our ears sometimes? Yeah, I mean, there's other voices that can be in our head. And he had learned to distinguish the voice of God. You know, today it's even worse because we can put headphones on and get additional voices or listen to, you know. But getting to know God, getting to know God. You know, even today, even today, you can get to know God well enough that you can distinguish His voice and distinguish if the things that He's saying is in line with Scripture and the principles of the way that He has ordered the world. Get to know God get to know God. I'm going to say this too. I wouldn't say this probably at every church, but um, be careful getting addicted to just listening to other people talk about God all the time. Okay? You can kind of get addicted to listening to sermons constantly and kind of get stirred up by that. And that's good to a place. But I want to tell you what, liking listening to good sermons, we can be wrong in our heart and like a good sermon. Because you know what? King Herod liked listening to John the Baptist preach. And his heart wasn't right. So listen to good sermons, take them in, but don't just listen, 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 and don't, you know, that can create a callousness, hearing a good word constantly and not being molded. Don't be content just to hear others talk about God. Get to know God himself. Get to know him. He was instructed that his ministry to Paul would establish Paul in the faith and bring him into the body. And, you know, as, as you know, I, I pray by the grace of God that He's going to inspire many of us in this room that, you know what, I want to go forward. Man, I want to be on my A game. I want to be a disciple right now. I want to live in a state of discipleship. I want to be ready that, that God could call on me right now. And, and, and if, when you're in that place of fellowship with God, communion with Him, where there's kind of a, there's a free flow of information coming, and you're, and you're, you're walking in a place of repentance, there's no there's no sin in your life that you're not fighting against or dealing with. God will likely lay someone on your heart. And the pattern I see is that the reason He lays people on our heart is usually because we're to, we're to help, help to either establish them in the faith for the first time or strengthen them in their faith. And, uh, and, bring, and also connect them better into the body of Christ so they're in fellowship and enjoying the riches of being a child of God and having brothers and sisters. And, and I can't tell you how many times I've run into people that say, you know what? The church feels like my family. It's like family. Oh, it's rich. It's a joy to be a part of the body of Christ. Praise God. So Ananias is a disciple. He's in communion with God. 
probably living a, a pretty simple life on most days, but God calls on him. And he, he went directly to that person. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't go talk to 100 people and say, hey, let's pray about this. Is this really? For? No, he, he knew God's voice and he did it. He goes directly to Paul. He did what the Lord asked him to do. And the rest is history. We can read about it in the book of Acts. We can read about it. The wonderful things. Most of God's work is done by certain disciples. We happen to know this guy's name, but most of them are nameless. Most of them are nameless. Most of them aren't pastors. Most of them aren't full-time missionaries. Praise God. There's this woman in, in Edinburgh. I'll call her this woman because I really don't know her name. It, it somehow got lost in history. Edinburgh, uh, you know, that's not in America. That's on the other side of the pond. And uh, she walked close to God. And when you walk close to God, this is just how it works. His heart starts to be our heart, and our heart becomes like his heart. We start to care about things. We start to be moved by things that maybe before we, we didn't even really think about. And here she starts to have a, a burden for China. She had learned that China was the largest country population-wise on earth, and she came to learn that there really wasn't a, a testimony in China at this time. There was no Christians. And, and uh, you know, the modern mission movement is, is pretty recent in the history of, of the church, of 2,000 years of church history. Maybe it goes back about 250 years or so. There was random things that happened here and there. You know, um, but before that, somebody might just go and you might never hear from them again. <laughs> Actually, in the early mission times, that happened a lot too. Somebody goes and you, uh, maybe you got eaten by a lion, maybe things went well, you know. But she had this heart for China, and she knew she couldn't go. She knew she had to stay home. She had her own family to care about. And for a woman to go to China in that time, it, it, it just would have been unthinkable. Thinkable. But she had a burden for China. And one day she was uh, going down the street, going about her business. She was busy, just like all of us. And this little boy is running and, and, and runs into her. Little boy, seven, eight, nine years old or so. He falls on the ground. He, he's crying. She's, what's going on? What's going on? You know, he says, I, I, I'm running away. I'm running away. From who? Running away. His, his father was this terrible drunk and often beat the boy. And, and uh, she looks at the boy. She wipes off his face, shows him kindness and and she says, boy, what's your name? Bobby, Bobby. She said, Bobby, have you ever gone to Sunday school? You know, Sunday schools, the early Sunday schools in England and in America were really mostly evangelistic outreach, outreaches uh, to children, young people. They often happen outside of the actual church building. Have you ever been to Sunday school? He says, no. And well, would you like to go? Would you? Well, I, I don't have any clothes. I don't have proper clothing to wear. And the boy's wearing basically rags. He doesn't have shoes on, doesn't have socks, just rags. And she says, you know what? Let's get together. I'm going to get you some clothes. We'll take care of it. She, she takes him out. She buys him clothing. You know, we like throw away clothes like left and right now. But there was a time not that long ago that clothing was quite expensive. She gets him clothing and he goes to Sunday school. He goes again. He goes again the next week. And he disappears. She doesn't just say, oh, well, I tried. 
Now she goes out and she hunts him down. She finds Bobby. And uh, what happened, Bobby? She said, well, scared to tell you. Those clothes you bought me, um, my dad pawned them off so he could get more drink, more booze. She said, it's okay. It's okay, Bobby. We'll get you some more clothes. She gets him some more clothes. A couple weeks go by, his dad does the same thing. Pawns him off for booze. So then she's like, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's okay. I want you to be in Sunday school. I want you to learn about Jesus. She gets him another set of clothes. This time she keeps him at her house. So before, you know, early on, on Sunday school time, Sunday morning, um, Bobby goes over to this unnamed woman's house. He gets all dolled up for church, for Sunday school, goes, learns about Jesus, comes back to her house, changes back into his rags, goes about his business. This goes on and on. And uh, about six or seven months after this has started, one Sunday morning, Bobby came and said to this woman, last night I asked Jesus to save me, to come into my heart. And I've given my life to him. And I believe that he wants me to be a missionary. And I'm going to go. And he went on. He's still a boy, learning the word, studying year after year. And this woman basically became like a benefactor uh, to this boy. She prayed for him. You know, she had her own family. She had her own life. She was busy like all of us. But she prayed for him. She helped him. She helped him even with his regular schoolwork. Guided him. Encouraged him. And the years passed. Her name somehow got lost in history. But one day in China, one night, it's late. It's midnight in a little barren room with a candle and a dish against a wooden table with a pack of paper on it kneeled a man, his hands folded over a pile of papers, tears streaming down his cheeks as he is dedicating the first translation of a Chinese Bible. This little boy became a man, and maybe you've heard of him, Robert Morrison, the first missionary to China, translated the Bible. By the way, he labored there for 27 years, and only 10 people got saved. But I'll tell you what, all 10 of them stuck. And he also ordained the first Chinese national minister. And I'll tell you what, that work expanded. And I'll tell you, what would have happened in this story had it not been for this unnamed woman, this certain disciple that had a burden for the Lord and obeyed? Praise God. You know, I don't know the name. You don't know the name of that woman, but God does. And God saw what she did, and God appreciates it. Praise the Lord. If you would... Set your heart that you today I want to be a disciple. I can't guarantee you that your name will get in a history book or, you know, we don't really do plaques in church much anymore, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I can't guarantee all those things, but I'll tell you what, God sees it and God appreciates it when we love him enough to say yes when he calls us. D.L. Moody, that's another story. I'm not going to read it for time today. Young man, this guy, just tell you the gist of it, this guy is... He, goes, he works in a shoe store. He's 18. And, and this, this man that comes in, he just feels a prompting of the Lord. Man, talk to this guy. And, and, and these, these people that, that we hear about, they're just like us. The same things like, oh, is it going to be awkward? Am I going to embarrass him? Am I going to embarrass myself? Should I really do it? Uh, but he goes in there and he talks to him, talks to him about the Lord. And, 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 it, and it was just God's timing. 
D.L. Moody went on to be greatly used of God. A regular guy, just like us, with doubts and fears, but a disciple. And again, a disciple is one who dispositionally, I said, you know what? You're in charge of my life. I'm here to serve you. I want to please you. I want to be a profitable servant. I want to turn away from those things that don't please you in my life. I want to be in constant fellowship with you, a disciple. A disciple, one who walks with God. Hey, how many people were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Filled with the Spirit. Yeah, pretty good group. How many of those got mentioned in the subsequent pages of Scripture, right? Not very many, but God knows. God knows. Hey, today, this morning, I just want to ask, ask you this, this question. Are you right now, okay? I, I don't want to hear about what you've done in the past. Okay, that's nice. It's all good. Right now, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you have a, a desire in you beyond getting some help here and there from God in prayer, learning some good principles, going to heaven? Do you have a desire to serve God and expand His kingdom? I think many, most of us in here do. I want to tell you, if that is your desire, purpose in your heart to be useful to God and available to God, and I'll say this also, be content. Because sometimes there can be periods of time when, is anything happening? Hey, this is awful slow right now, Lord. What's going on? I'm going to be useful. I'm going to be available. I'm going to walk in communion with you. And I'm, going to be, I'm just going to be content. And by the way, God, when you need me, I'm right here. And I will go. Ananias was the human instrument to lead Saul into a relationship with Christ. He needed to be introduced um, into a relationship with Christ that was normative in the body. He needed to be introduced to fellowship in the body. He's brought into the body. He's welcomed. Again, Ananias lays hands on him. Here, here he is, the guy that's going to be the great apostle Paul, write much of the New Testament. But God ordained that this Joe Blow lays hands on him and prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, he was, he was born of the Spirit already. He, he couldn't have said yes to Christ on the road to Damascus. By the way, you can't just wake up one day and decide to get saved. That doesn't happen. God has to draw you. He has to put his finger on you. He has to, to pull you in. If we're dead in our trespasses and sin, you can't get a dead man to take any steps towards God. It's, it's all him. It's all his grace but I want to tell you what, even after that, even he, he had a measure of the Spirit, but God used Ananias to lay his hands on him, to pray for him that he would get the measure of the Spirit that he needed to do this great work that was to be done. And I'll tell you, one of the, one of the themes, the great themes of the New Testament is walking in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit's power. And we must be filled. We must be walking in the Spirit daily. God used it. He used back then, and He uses to this day uh, nameless saints who are walking in communion with Him. He always has, and He always will. And what does it look like to walk in communion with God? Let me just kind of answer that question that's, that's maybe floating around. Does it mean that I'm on my knees with my hands folded humming all day? Do I have to be a monastery? Do I have to be a monk to be in communion with God? No, that's not what it's about. In fact, that probably hinders what it's really about in many cases. What does it look like to be in communion with God? I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, say I'm in the kitchen or the, the dining room area, and my wife 
and I were in the room together. We're not, believe, we talk a lot, but we're not constantly talking, right? But to be in communion with her, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of aware. That's how her presence is there. My presence is here. And you that have been married for a few years, can you communicate sometimes without words? And you know what she's thinking. And uh, there's verbal, there's nonverbal communication going on. And by the way, there's also times when it's just the two of you, right? What kind of marriage would it be if, if you didn't spend any time just alone, right? What kind of a marriage would that be? By the way, what kind of relationship with God if the only time that you're talking and hearing from Him is in a big group of people? That's not how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to have time alone and then time as a group. But the idea of communion with God, you know, I can't take my wife to work with me, but I can take God. And even when I'm doing my task, and to be a Christian employee is to work hard, right? Give it my best. All right? There's nothing spiritual about me slacking off on my job so I can pray. That's not spiritual. But being spiritual and being a, a Christian at work is I, I've got God with me. And, I, and I'm, I'm aware of His presence even as I'm going about all my tasks because I'm trying to do it in a way that pleases Him and honors Him. That's what that fellowship is. And added to that, times when it's just Him and me. So communion at all times. At all times. Praise God. A man in communion with God will be useful to God. I want to tell you about a, a certain disciple that I knew. Okay? He won't go nameless because I'll tell you his name. His name was Ursel. Ursel. Now I was, I was thinking, how come we don't name people Ananias? Right? We name people Paul, but Ananias had a great hand. I've never run into somebody named that. But um, Ursel, I can see why maybe that name should sunset. But Ursel was this guy I knew down when I lived in Woodburn. And he was married to his wife, Elnora, for over 60 years. And man, he loved that woman. He loved her. And they were kind of still lovey-dovey, even as old people. Um, but Elnora died. And she'd been sick for a number of years. And Ursel, um, in his working days, he was a contractor and a farmer. So kind of one of those, kind of used to go, go, go all the time. And she dies, and he's, he's heartbroken. And he's, he, I know this because we talked about it. He'd say, he'd say, why am I here? I'd like to just die and go be with Jesus, go be with my wife, you know? Please, Lord, let me die. You know what? Sometimes God doesn't say yes to everything we pray. God kept him around. Actually, God kept him around for uh, almost another 25 years. And at first, Ursul... And he, would, he, he said this openly, so I'm not like outing him or anything. He basically spent all his time, he, still, he always went to church, he always, you know, that, until he was too old and, and he was in his senior's home. But he said at first, he just watched TV all day, mindless stuff. Basically just trying to pass the time because he was lonely. He missed his wife. He wished he could just die and go be with the Lord and his wife. But then he started to kind of feel convicted about it. And God started saying, you know, Ursul, I got better things for you to do than just watch mindless TV. By the way, TV is at best a waste of time. At best. And at worst, it's really bad, right? And Ursel, you know, here he is, just a regular guy. He says, okay, Lord, I want to commit this time that I have. I don't know how long you're going to keep me around, but I want to commit it um, to serving you. And he starts pressing into God. And Ursel became a man of prayer at a different level than most people know. And uh, 
You know, he didn't. He regularly could sleep through the night. You know, he woke up as is case of many ninety-year-olds, right? And instead of just finding a way to pass the time, he he committed times to prayer, and he got to know God so closely. And, and God did some interesting things with Ursel as he's in this uh, kind of seniors' home. One time, he told him to go pray for another resident there that was in in later stage cancer. And God ended up healing that person. I mean, just completely miraculously. Yeah. He's, you could hardly hear, but he could hear God. And he got to know God. And I want to tell you this. Um, I, I, was, I was pastoring down in, in Woodburn at the time. And Ursula kind of became a, a close confidant, somebody I could go to. You know, when there's, there's certain things that we feel very free to ask for prayer for, right? Oh, very free. And then there's certain things that you're like, man, do I really want to put that out there? It's a little personal, or maybe it's a little embarrassing. Maybe we're a little ashamed, but Ursula became one of those guys that I could go to, and I knew that he would, uh, he would go to God on my behalf. But um, some of you in this room know that uh, you know, we're a big homeschool family and all that. And you know, from day one, we tried to really lay things out so that it would be natural for our kids to follow God. You know, we kept, we tried to keep evil influences at bay, uh, you know, homeschool, had a curriculums that were full of the word of God, you know, through and through Bible memory thing, this and that. And, and that was all great. But you know, my oldest son, um, it didn't, it didn't take, it didn't take. I can't totally explain why. And you know, for, it seems like for most families, that raise kids, you know, Christian home, you're praying, you're doing these things. It seems like most of those kids at a young age kind of embrace Christ. And, and many kids don't even really remember when they didn't believe. They just, they can't remember not believing and they, they just grow and grow. And my oldest son, um, that wasn't the case with him. By the way, I asked, Jared gave me permission to share a portion of his testimony. Um, Jared was doing bad. And here we are, this clean-cut homeschool family. I'm pastoring this church, and I've got a, a teenage son that hates me and hates his whole family and is full of anger, bitterness, and rage inside. And, and I remember, you know, talking to a few, oh, it's just natural teenage rebellion. No, it wasn't, okay? No, it wasn't. Ursel was a man I could go to. Oh, thank you, God, for Ursel. I said, Ursel, I'm dying here. I'm considering stepping down because my own house is chaos. Because my oldest son is making our house hell. And he said, let's pray. And he prayed. And he didn't just pray then, but he, he wrestled with God for my son. And Jared sometime, um, the ironic thing is, my son Jared, he loves everybody. Everybody. Even people that are rude to him. Jared loves everybody. It wasn't like that before he got saved, let me tell you. He hated everybody. But God, I don't know what portion of these prayers, I don't want more portion another certain disciple that God used that did something crazy, but my son got saved. He got saved about five years ago, radically saved, and he's he, literally a totally different person. It was both an instantaneous and a progressive thing, but he is a different person. I'll tell you what than when he got born again. And I thank God for certain disciples who are sensitive to God and have a bigger idea of what life is about than just 
living it up and having as much entertainment as possible and then going to heaven. I want to tell you, God is looking for disciples and He's not through, He's not through with this world. He's still gleaning. He's still reaching. He's still saving. And 90% of the time, he, you know, we thank God for pastors. Thank God for all these great leaders and elders. But most of the time, it's just regular people like us that God uses to be His hands and feet. And I just got to ask uh, you uh, this question today, straight up, just between you and God. If God wanted to reach someone in Lewis County today, could He reach them through you? Could He? Could you be the one that He put His finger on? Are you living in a place of discipleship? Are you living in a place of obedience to Christ? Obedience to Christ. I'm not talking about a perfection that you never stumble, but you're in a place where, man, when you step off the line, you, ugh, you feel it quick and you rush back to Him. Rush back to fellowship with Him. Full obedience to Christ. Are you daily learning from Him? Learning from Him. Learning from His Word. Learning from His Word, but also just Him teaching you as you fellowship with Him, as you, as you commune with Him. Are you in constant fellowship with Him at all times? I'll tell you what, the, the, the standard of what is called Christian is really low right now, but what I've just described is to be normative in the church of the living God. This is to be normative. Walking with Christ. Listening to Him. Ready and able. Whether, you have, whether you've been saved a short time or a long time. And, and, and obviously by the grace of God, we should grow in our knowledge, right? But even a young Christian whose heart is set towards Him. Oh, so useful to God. So useful to God. If that's not you right now, I, in love, you're in sin. Get right. Get right. Get right. And I say this to us. God's not impressed that you could win a Bible trivia game. Okay? I'm glad that you have that knowledge. And I, I think, I don't, I don't minimize it, but God is not impressed if you have read through the Bible five times, but right now you're not walking in fellowship with Him. God is not impressed. He's not impressed. He doesn't care that you went to Bible college. Those things are all useful, but the big question, are you walking in the Spirit today? Are you in fellowship with Him today? Could He call on you today and you be ready to respond? Is there a concern in your heart for the lost? Is there a concern in your heart for the floundering in a group this size? I guarantee you there's people in this room right now, maybe they're Christians, but they're kind of floundering, right? They're floundering. They're going through the motions. Going to church just because it's the habit. But man, not enjoying a rich fellowship with Christ. How do I know that? It's because, man, I've been at that place. I've preached when I was in that place. I say that to my shame. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to get off track. And how many times has God used just a certain disciple who sensed something wasn't right and maybe they prayed, maybe they prayed in secret and didn't even talk to me about it. Maybe they just came and put a hand and say, man... Are you, are you doing okay? How can I pray for you? Thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for every disciple. You know, Christ is the, is the head of the church. He's the head, right? We're the, we're the body. We're, we're doing the things that He would do if, you know, He was the complete body of Christ, right? He was Jesus while He was walking on the earth. Again, He, he, he dies, He's resurrected. He 
He takes up a body on the day of Pentecost. We're his hands and feet today. We're the ones doing the things that he would do if he was here. Right. When we are walking in a place of discipleship, that right disposition towards Christ, we're alive. We're alive. We're alive. And in the same spirit of God that animated, that empowered Jesus Christ on this earth, animates us. Now he was the whole body. We're maybe like a thumb, a toe, an ear. I'll tell you, it's important though. And you can do your role in the body of Christ or the things that God assigns you with the same power that empowered Jesus when he was on earth. Because we're his. We're his body. Oh, and to be alive in Christ, to be sensitive to the impulses from the head, right? It's to be alive. And there's stuff flowing into us as that's happening. But what happens when we're atrophied and we're not taking those signals, right? What happens to a leg that's not getting any signals from the brain? Bad things, bad things. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how medical things work. But I'll tell you what, God likes to resurrect parts that have atrophied. He does it all the time. Praise God. Oh, to be a disciple is to be alive by His Spirit, walking with Him. And God will bless the world through every single disciple. However prominent they are, or if nobody knows their name, God will bless the world through every disciple. There are lots of unusable Christians. Again, God loves them, but He just can't use them right now because they're not walking in discipleship. There's lots of unusable Christians, but there's no unimportant ones. Because I'll tell you what, if, if, God, if every one of us in this congregation set out to be a disciple, God could find a lot for us to do. And there's a crazy world out there that needs His touch through us. I wrote this down. God has a life that He could touch through you better than anybody else. Better than anybody else. All right, would you stand with me? Would you stand with me? Oh, a certain disciple. A certain disciple. Yeah, I pray um, that God has stirred somebody in this room. That, you know what, God, I want to go forward with you. I want to tell you this too. If, uh, if you feel convicted, by the way, it's, it's good to feel convicted. That, that means that we have a pulse, right? That means that we're not a stone-hearted you know, it's good when, when the Word steps on our toes. That means that we have some feelings. But also means that God's drawn us in and saying, come on, you know what? Hey, I got more for you than this. You weren't meant for this low stuff. You were meant to be my disciple. So uh, let's pray. Let's pray and uh, we'll go with God. Yeah, God, I thank you for your Word. I thank you for uh, the story, the true story of Ananias. I thank you, God, that by your grace, he was a disciple. And I thank you that you used him to be a tremendous blessing uh, to Paul and the whole world. And God, I, I pray for us. I pray for those in this room that, that are feeling uh, the pull of the Holy Spirit towards deeper discipleship, deeper obedience, a close walk with you. God, I pray that you would reel them, reel us all in into a close walk. God, help us to turn from the things that offend, the things that, that come between us and you in a close walk with you. I pray that you'd be glorified. And God, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of church, Lord, the kind of church that could care for the lost and the hurting and those who are just sick of this, this crazy world and want to go a different way. Yeah. 
Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.